So in this episode, let's look at how to hire your offshore staff. If you found them on Upwork, should you hire them through Upwork? How do you pay and track their work? And how do you give your offshore staff access to the ATO portal? These are just some of the questions we will cover now. You are listening to Australia's podcast for accountants. Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to part two of episode 363 of Text Talks, How to Hire Your Offshore Staff. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Klaas for sponsoring this episode. And sorry, I just need to quickly give you an update. We need to talk quickly about Queensland land tax. Two weeks ago, we spoke with Emily Pritchard of Access about the changes to Queensland land tax in update 32. You might remember that Queensland land tax was going to change from the 1st of July next year. And... The whole thing has been scrapped. It's gone, completely off the table, finito. Let me just quickly read you the beginning of an article in the Financial Review from the middle of last week. Start of quote. Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk has stepped in and scrapped the state's new controversial multi-jurisdictional land tax, which was designed to slug investors for owning properties interstate. After weeks of damaging headlines about the change turning investors away from Queensland and other states refusing to hand over the personal data of their citizens, Mrs. Pelleshey killed off the proposal ahead of Friday's National Cabinet meeting. End of quote. So that is a bombshell. Good news, great news for our clients with properties in Queensland. So we will depublish Update 32 now since no longer relevant. So now... Back to today's topic about how to hire offshore staff. Last week, we covered how you find your offshore staff. We covered countries, skills, where to search, how to advertise, screening questions, who can see your ad, agencies, how to shortlist and how to interview. So now you have found the person you want to hire. So how do you go from here? Step number 10, how to hire. So now the question is, how do you hire? your new staff member. And you have three options. You hire them on Upwork, you hire them outside of Upwork, or you start on Upwork, but then transfer them out of Upwork at some stage later. How to hire number one on Upwork. Now, with hiring on Upwork, I mean, you press the hire button for your new staff member, and then they accept the hire on their end. And then Upwork is almost like an agency in terms of that they organize all the payments and they also provide the um, app for doing screen recordings. So all you have to do is basically tell your new staff member what to do, how to work, etc. And your new staff member has to make sure they track their time. That is hiring on Upwork. And hiring on Upwork has five advantages and five disadvantages. So let me quickly walk you through those. Argument for hiring on Upwork number one, all automated. When you hire on Upwork, you just enter your credit card details and then start working. You don't have to sign up to some screen recording software. You don't have to work out how to pay them and how much. That is all done by Upwork. Argument for hiring on Upwork number two, Upwork as mediator. You have Upwork as a mediator. If there's a conflict between you and the contractor, you can appeal to Upwork and they can see all the communications you had via the Upwork Messenger app, assuming you managed the work via the Upwork Messenger app, which is not really practical if your team is on a different app, like Teams or Zoom or Skype or chat. But that is a different topic. So in theory, 
They are there to mediate and help when you need them. And I'm pretty sure this works just fine if you are the victim of outright fraud and only spoke via Upwork. But if the disagreement is about excessive hours or shoddy work or similar, then I'm afraid to say that Upwork is no help. I once had a conflict with a freelancer. I had asked him to put the work on hold until further notice since I first needed to clean up some data. And he just continued charging time, 40 hours for nothing. And when I disputed the charge, no help from Upwork. It took them ages to respond. And then they were really not interested. They just noted that he had recorded the time. And in the end, I gave up and settled. So I'm not sure how much this is an advantage, but in theory, they are there to mediate. Argument for hiring on Upwork, number three, rating. On Upwork, everybody gets rated by the other side. You rate the person you hire and that person rates you. And for the person you hire, getting a good rating and review from you is really important. That is their livelihood. And so that possibly makes them try harder. Argument for hiring on Upwork, number four, terms and conditions. When you sign up on the Upwork platform... You agree to Upwork's terms and conditions and your staff member agrees to the same terms and conditions. So you don't need to worry about a contract or similar. Upwork has already covered that. But of course, those terms and conditions are beneficial to Upwork, not necessarily to you. But it's still an advantage that you don't have to worry about the paperwork if you are the kind of person who would do paperwork with an overseas staff member and it means a lot to you that you don't have to do that. Argument for hiring on Upwork, number five, your profile. Accounting staff on Upwork can see how much money you have spent on Upwork. The more you have spent, the more trustworthy you look, especially if the high dollar amount comes with a good rating as an employer. Not a strong plus, but still a plus. So these are five arguments to hire on Upwork and now five arguments against hiring on Upwork. Argument against hiring on Upwork, number one, high fees. When you hire via Upwork, the person you hire pays a freelancer service fee of 5 to 20%. The percentage depends on how much they have already worked for you. For the first 500 US dollars they earn with you, the freelancer service fee is 20%. Up to 10,000 US dollars, it is 10%. And then over that, it is 5%. And then you as the employer also pay a 5% transaction fee. So all up, the two of you together pay 10% to 25% of the hourly rate in fees to Upwork. So a loss to you both. So you pay the fee and then on top of that, you pay another 25% in fees. And you might think that the freelancer service fee of 5% to 20% on top of the hourly rate doesn't affect you because it's the um, new staff member who's paying it. But in the end, you pay both fees because your new staff member will charge you a higher rate on Upwork to cover his or her fees. And if they don't, then in the end, they can probably earn more if they work directly and not through Upwork. So in the end, it is you who is paying the 10% to 25% of fees on top of the hourly rate. Argument against hiring on Upwork number two, bad FX rates. Upwork gives both of you a pretty bad exchange rate. Let me give you an example. On the 14th of March, 2022, I paid 4,258 Australian dollars to settle a 2,917 US dollar bill on Upwork. But the official exchange rate, according to Google, was only 1.3894 on that day. 
So instead of $4,258, I should only have paid $4,052. So I paid $206 extra, Australian dollars extra, due to a bad exchange rate. That is a margin of 5%. So I paid an extra 5% due to the bad FX rate Upwork gave me. And if you pay your staff directly via an international payment app, the, the FX rate is not great either, but nowhere is it as bad as on Upwork. Argument against hiring on Upwork number three, two FX translations. When you pay directly, you have one FX transaction. You pay in Australian dollars and the person receives Filipino peso, for example, or Sri Lankan rupee or whatever the local currency is. You have one FX transaction from Australian dollars to local currency. But when you hire via Upwork, you have two FX transactions. You pay in Australian dollars to settle a US dollar bill and then Upwork pays your staff member US dollar earnings out in local currency. So another 5% lost in translation. So now it doesn't just cost you 10 to 25% in fees. The total cost to go via Upwork increases to 20% to 35% when you take crooked FX rates into account. Argument against hiring on Upwork number four, automatic charges. When you hire via Upwork, you can set maximum hours and also block or accept manual entry of hours. So hours not recorded via the screen recording app, but manually entered. But after that, things are no longer under your control. You have no control. You get automatically billed and charged for whatever hours your staff member charged. So when I go back to the example I had where the person charged 40 hours, even though I had told him to not start yet to wait, I had no control. The money was taken from my credit card and you're always in a much weaker position when the money is gone. Cash talks. And yes, you can dispute it with Upwork and try and get it back, but it's always harder to get money back than if you haven't paid it in the first place. I can imagine that the percentage of disputed charges that actually get paid back on Upwork is really, really low. Or on another time, I hired somebody in China for SEO work and the work was done. It was done well. And I just left the contract open on Upwork for the next time I need him. And then a couple of months later, I realized he had charged more hours. I had no idea what for. And I certainly hadn't requested it. So I asked him and he just said, ah, oh, I thought you wanted me to maintain your SEO. Again, money gone and I just let it go. And even if I had wanted to, I couldn't dispute it because it was 10 days after payment and you can't dispute at anything after 10 days after payment. And I didn't have the energy to dispute it anyway because I already had this previous experience and I knew that it would be a waste of time. So that is the disadvantage of hiring via Upwork. Once you hand over your credit card details, your card gets charged for hours charged. And once the money is gone, you're on a much weaker footing. So automatic charges with a little chance to dispute is a minus. Argument against hiring on Upwork number five, 10 minute slots. 10 minute slots. Upwork records in 10 minute slots. So if there's any activity in a 10 minute slot, Upwork will count the full 10 minutes. So if your staff member worked for one minute, then left and worked for another minute, 10 minutes later, and then once more, you would pay for 30 minutes while they were only three minutes of work. So you can easily play this game with two laptops and having an Upwork timer running on each for two different clients. And as a side note, time tracking software can be hacked. 
So activity statistics are not necessarily correct. So if an Upwork freelancer wants to game this, they can easily do it and just have your account running on a separate laptop and then just move the mouse a little bit and then hack the statistics. Argument against hiring an Upwork number six, money held in escrow. And then the last point is the delayed payment. When you hire via Upwork, Upwork charges you at the end of each week for hours charged, but only passes the money on after 10 days. So for 10 days, Upwork basically gets free financing while your staff member is probably desperate to get the money. So that's hiring on Upwork. Five arguments for and six arguments against. So now let's look at how you hire outside of Upwork. How to hire number two, hire outside of Upwork. Now, this bit is tricky. When you sign up on Upwork, you sign their terms and conditions. And one of those terms and conditions is that you don't hire outside of Upwork. You promise that when you find people on Upwork, you promise that you will only hire those people on Upwork or pay a headhunter fee. And if Upwork finds out that you hired their freelancers outside the platform, they can close your account. And also remember, they have your credit card details. What is stopping them from charging you the headhunter fee when they find out that you headhunted one of their freelancers? So you need to be really careful. And so you also need to read between the lines now over the next few minutes. When you hire outside of Upwork, you need to work out five things. Hire outside of Upwork 1. Cover your tracks. If you find your staff member on Upwork and you want to hire them outside of Upwork, never discuss this via Upwork, never via the Upwork Messenger app. Always discuss this outside. You will have spoken outside anyway during the interview. So discuss this wherever you met. Or if you don't like the secrecy and you have ethical reservations, which I understand, you know, it makes sense. You can pay Upwork a headhunter fee. But that fee, unfortunately, is insane. It is about 5,000 US dollars. But maybe you think that is all right. And if you find your staff member through word of mouth, then of course you don't need to worry about any of this. This is only an issue if you find the person through Upwork. Hire outside of Upwork too. Choice. When you find staff members on Upwork, give them the choice of working on Upwork or outside. Just ask them what they prefer. Some have a strong preference one way or another. And if you give them the choice and they choose outside of Upwork, then it is a joint decision and you're both, quote unquote, partners in crime and both breaching the terms and conditions of Upwork together. And that makes each of you less vulnerable for accusations. Hire outside of Upwork 3, contract. Some accountants do a contract with their staff members overseas. I don't. I never have, and it has never been an issue. Who is to enforce this contract anyway? You do the right thing by them, and they do the right thing by you. But of course, there are arguments to put everything in writing and make it clear. I just haven't seen the need yet. But in theory, I understand that it is something one should do. You know, have an employment contract with the person overseas. Hire outside of Upwork 4. Time recording. You need a time recording app to record your staff's working hours and observe their screen if you want to do that. And it's actually two different things. Time recording is one thing and then screenshots is another. Or alternatively, you might just pay a fixed wage per week 
without tracking time and without screen recordings. Or you might track hours through the Zero app or a different app without screenshots. But if you want screenshots, you need an app. And there are many out there, but I would go for either Time Doctor or Top Tracker. The advantage of Time Doctor is that it can record several screens. So if your staff work on two screens, you can see both screens and the dashboard is quite nice. But for that, of course, you pay. Whereas the advantage of Top Tracker on toptel.com slash tracker, so T-O-P-T-A-L.com slash tracker, the advantage is that it is free. But for that, you can only record one screen. I do time recording and screenshots. I pay based on time recorded, but only check the screenshots from time to time. I, but I just feel more in control having the screenshots. Sometimes when I have been really busy and haven't really spoken to somebody and I then wonder what they have done, I can just look at the screenshots and get a rough idea of what has been happening during the day. But keep in mind that time recording and screenshots can easily be manipulated. So you need to work closely with your staff to really have this under control. Hire outside of Outlook 5. Payment. Next, you need to pay your staff. And again, there are various payment platforms out there. I really like Revolut, but it is not yet available for the Philippines. So I pay the US, Croatia and Greece through Revolut. But the Philippines, I pay through World Remit. So World Remit is another option. In addition to Revolut, you pay $2.99, $2.99 Australian dollars for a transfer, and it instantly hits their bank account. I used Payoneer at some stage, but some countries had an issue with it. I used PayPal at the very start, but I hate PayPal. It's, it, I know it's an irrational hate, but I really hate it. And the time recording platforms also offer payments. So both with Top Tracker and Time Doctor and a lot of others, you can make a payment. But I haven't used a recording platform yet for payment. So you have various options. Revolut and World Remit are just some of them. And I pay each Monday or Tuesday for the past week based on time recorded in Time Doctor. So that is how to hire outside of Upwork. How to hire number three. Start on Upwork and then move on. And then the third option is basically that you start on Upwork and when you're both comfortable with each other and it goes well, then you move off Upwork. And you either do this by just closing the contract on Upwork and declare the project as finished, or you pay Upwork a $5,000 headhunter fee. It's not exactly $5,000, but around there. So that is how you hire. Now, before you can actually start working together, you need to do one more thing in the onboarding of your staff, and that is to give your staff access to your software and data and ATO portal. Step number 11, how to give access. If you're in the cloud, then giving access to overseas staff is the same as giving access to Australian-based staff, to your software and to your data. Nothing different. If you're not in the cloud and still on a server, then I'm not sure that offshoring is for you. I'm not even sure remote working is for you. I think with a server in the office, you need your staff on site. But I know that Nick Sinclair, the chairman of Tor, disputed that in episode 242 and said that you can still offshore, even when you still have a server in the office. But of course, that is easy for him to say. It is you who has to manage the access to the server for your offshore staff and deal with all the technical hiccups. So let me rephrase. 
You can still do remote work. You can still offshore, even if you're not in the cloud, but you need strong technical backup to manage that. So that is access to your data and software in general. Easy if you're in the cloud, doesn't matter where your staff is, but now to the ATO portal. That is a lot harder for offshore staff. And the reason is that your offshore staff doesn't have an Australian tax file number. So you can only set them up as a basic user. For that, they have to send in a certified copy of their passport and birth certificate and then wait a long time to get this done. And then you don't hear anything and you have to follow up and it's a big headache and it's tedious, but it's doable. But once done, your overseas staff can log in, see the data in the ATO portal for your clients. And that is already a big step forward. I agree. But a basic user can't change any data. So they can't update the address or phone numbers. They can't add clients or remove clients and so on. And if you are the only one in your practice with a strong ID in the ATO portal, then you are the one who has to do all the data updates in the ATO portal. And that is not a good use of your time. But your overseas staff can't get a strong ID with the ATO since they don't have an Australian tax file number. That's how it is. So if you don't want to do the data entry and if you don't want to be the one left holding the baby, you have three options. Well, you should have three options. And one day you will have three options when the ATO has worked this out. But right now you only have two options. Access to the ATO portal number one. Hire somebody in Australia. The first one is you hire somebody in Australia who can get a strong ID and do the data entry for you. For example, you pay them for five hours a week and then they update all the data that needs updating. Not ideal because it is inefficient when you have two people working on something that could be done by one. So let's say Sally in the Philippines identifies that an address needs to be updated. So then she would have to contact Betty in Wollongong and tell her that the address needs to be updated. Then Sally needs to monitor that Betty has already done it and check, and then Betty has forgotten, and Sally needs to remind her. It's inefficient when you have two people doing something that could be done by one. But that is one solution. Access to the ATO portal number two. Have your overseas staff temporarily working in Australia. The second solution is you get an overseas staff member a working visa for Australia, have them work here for a couple of weeks or how long ever. Get a TFN for them, get a strong user ID for them on the ATO portal. And when I say ATO portal, of course, I mean the ATO online services for agents. ATO portal is just a lot quicker. So you get them a strong user ID on the portal and then they return home. And then that strong ID should stay with the staff member because they have a TFN. A TFN stays with you for life. Just because you leave Australia, doesn't mean you lose your TFN. But of course, if the staff member then leaves you, you need to fly somebody else in and do this again. Expensive and time-consuming, but doable. And let me just quickly add to that. The question is, can you do this just by flying your staff member into Australia on a tourist visa just for a couple of days and then apply for DFN? And let me just quickly read you who can apply for a TFN as per the ATO website. It says, you can apply for a TFN if you meet all of the following three conditions. Number one, you are a foreign passport holder. That would be a tick. Our overseas staff member would be a foreign passport holder. Then two, 
you are already in Australia, so that would be a tick as well if you fly them into Australia on a tourist visa. And then three is your visa is one of the following. A permanent resident visa, a visa with work rights, an overseas student visa, or a visa allowing you to stay in Australia indefinitely, which is just for New Zealanders. And then it says further down, if you don't have a valid visa, you can't apply for a TFN. So that means just flying them here on a tourist visa doesn't work. It has to be a work visa. And then they could apply for a TFN and then they could get strong ID for the ATO portal. So these are two options you have and they are legal. And the third option you should have is that you can give temporary strong ID access to your staff with basic ID. At the moment, that option doesn't exist, but it should. So what very few accountants do, almost nobody does this. It is a cybersecurity breach and that is basically, that is why basically nobody does it. And I'm nervous to even mention it after the Optus data breach, but I think it will actually point to a solution and that's why I want to mention it. So just in theory, you could give strong user ID access to a staff member overseas by them logging into the ATO portal as you with your strong user ID through a VPN. That's important, a VPN. They get a code which they give to you via a chat and then you enter this code into your ID app and then they have access for that one visit. Highly illegal cybersecurity breach and the lot, that's why I'm quickly brushing over it. Basically, nobody does this, don't do it, just in theory. But... It points to what the ATO should give us. And that is a way that we can give temporary strong ID access to a basic user for one visit. So basically what I described before, but in a legal way. So a basic ID user would log into the ATO portal with their ID. And then once they are in, they would request strong ID access from you, which you would then grant them through your MyGov ID app. So it would all be legal. It would be all above board and it would just be access for that one visit. And let me present four arguments that speak for a solution like this. And I recorded this in a different setting. And this is why the audio keeps changing a bit backwards and forwards. So here are four arguments for a solution that will allow us to legally give our overseas staff temporary strong user ID access to the ATO portal. Number one, the first defense is that your staff doesn't get universal access. They only get access for that one visit. The moment they are done and log out, they can't get back in until you let them get back in. So you control the timing of the access. The second argument of defense is that your staff member only gets access to your clients. So it is not like they get access to the entire ATO database, but only to your clients. The third argument is that the door is already open. You just open it wider. Your staff can already see your client's confidential data as a basic user in the portal, as well as through your accounting and tax software. So they can already see the data anyway. And if there were bad intentions, they could already do a lot of bad things, a lot of harm just with seeing the data. So giving them access to update the data opens the door wider, but the door is already open. And the fourth argument is that your staff can already update the data anyway through your tax and accounting software. When your staff change client details in your tax software like Zero Tax and you then lodge that tax return, it will update the data in the ATO portal. So your staff can already update client details in the ATO portal anyway via the text software. So these are the four arguments for the ATO allowing us to give our overseas staff a temporary strong user ID access just for one visit at a time. I really hope 
the ATO will build a solution like this soon. That would make life a lot easier for you if you are the only one in Australia with a strong user ID. So that is the end of step number 11, how to give your staff access to your software, data and ATO portal. And that also brings us to the end of today's topic, how to hire and onboard your offshore staff. Once this is done, you work together and that is really not any different from working with a remote team in Australia. For example, communication. Just like managing your remote team in Australia, there is not just one solution, but many options. But whatever you do, do it for all your teams. So don't have some on Skype and some on WhatsApp and some on Teams. Pick one and run with that. And these different options you have are, for example, chat. That's probably the most used channel. You have chat on Skype, Teams, Slack, Zoom, just quick chat messages, very efficient. Then you have video meetings. Charlotte Norfolk, for example, mentioned in episode 258 that she mainly uses video calls, that she uses video calls several times a day. Video calls come with screen sharing to look at document or websites together. So that's also an important tool. Then, of course, there's email, not the most efficient, but has its place. And then, of course, you have your usual task management software like FYI, Suite Files, Carbon HQ or XPM, through which, of course, you communicate a fair bit as well, mainly through tasks and comments. I just quickly rushed through this because this is no different from how you would manage a remote team in Australia. So that is it for today. We will look at offshore teams again in episode 367 and 368. And there we will discuss what's better, labor hire agency or direct hire. And of course, one is not better than the other. Both have strong points and weak points. So let's go through those in a month's time. But over the next three weeks, let's look at insolvency, bankruptcy, small business restructuring plans and everything else you might have to consider when the going gets tough for you or your clients. A lot of businesses in Australia are doing it tough at the moment and so you will probably have a few clients who are struggling. And then in episode 366, let's look at ASIC deregistrations. To what extent can you avoid an expensive liquidation by just letting ASIC deregister your company. So that is what we will cover over the next three episodes before we come back to offshoring in episode 367. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaus for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Bye.